Welcome to the Experience Speaks podcast powered by BizTalks, the podcast created to empower career-curious students and ambitious young professionals. Each week, I interview some of the most successful directors, top-level executives, and entrepreneurs in business to hear their experiences of success, failure, and lessons they've picked up along the way. I'm your host, Sean Wolf, and today we sit down with co-founder of Intero Real Estate, Tom Tognoli. Tom believes we are all salespeople from the moment we are born and that you always need to be thinking like an entrepreneur. Tom started his career in real estate at the age of 25 after finishing his degree at Chico State. Well, almost, but we'll get into that. In 2002, he founded Intero Real Estate, and after 10 adventurous years, the company was acquired by billionaire Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, where Tom remained acting CEO. At the time of this recording, Tom was still Intero's CEO, but he recently moved on from Intero and is continuing his F5 philosophy by being an entrepreneur, real estate developer, and advisor of several companies. Before we begin, it is important to note that this episode was recorded a little before the economy was hit by COVID-19. Tom talks quite a bit about the recessions he has been through, and I believe his advice during these times not only holds true, but is incredibly timely. In short, Tom Tognoli is a real estate powerhouse and a widely successful leader and entrepreneur who never forgets to empower others and give back. It's easy to see why I'm so excited to have Tom Tognoli on the podcast today. Tom, you ready to get started? Go ahead, Sean. <laughs> Pretty good introduction. Awesome. So I want to get back to the uh, your graduation. Well, Which one? <laughs> <laughs> the one I the one I actually walked through when I actually got my diploma, or when I went through graduation and uh, and was able, or actually gave the commencement speech uh, last year. Oh, that's uh, actually let's let's talk about all of them. Okay. Um, first off, to give a little bit of background, you didn't actually receive your degree until 33 years after you stopped college. Yeah, well, or maybe let me think here. So I, I got my degree in 2017, or was it 2016 maybe? Um, I have to, it actually says 1988 on it. There's a, long, a whole long story behind it, but long, long and short of it is when I went to Chico, I went through graduation ceremonies in 1987. So I walked up on the stage, got my fake diploma and that little you know, burgundy thing that everyone thinks their diploma's in, but you actually get your diploma later. Yeah. Uh, my whole family was there, parents, <laughs> aunts, uncles, everybody was there. They all saw me walk up on stage, and everybody thought I actually got my diploma. But I had had a couple of classes, or really one class left over that I needed to take, um, which I know is, is pretty common, so you can go through graduation with a class or two left to take. And there were some issues with the class I needed to take. I, I was under the impression I could take the class down in the Bay Area, in, in like at San Jose State or something, just to kind of finish off that last. It was like a business writing class or something. Sure. So as I had gone through graduation, you know, I had packed up my apartment. I was ready to go. Graduation was over and we were ready to, to leave. Well, come to find out I needed to take, at least according to the way the, the rules were back then, I needed to take that, that business writing class up at Chico. But I had already moved. I was like, I was ready to start in the real estate business. And so um, I didn't ever take the class. And so my family never knew I actually didn't receive my diploma. 
<laughs> um, but from time to time, I you know I would I would reach out to people. I actually carried, believe it or not, I carried my transcripts in my briefcase from 1987 up until I received my diploma in 2016 or so. I think it was 2016, maybe 2017, right around that time frame. Just and from time to time, I would I would make phone calls. I'd call up the Chico, get into the you know find out what what could I do to get my degree. Maybe the maybe the you know the rules had changed or something to that effect, and I just I ne- I never could. And then probably about seven or eight years ago, I got a phone call from, I can't recall his name. He was actually the dean of the business school okay. at the time and uh, asked if you know I would get involved with Chico or he wanted me to speak at something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, long story short, I'm, of course, I'm happy to help, you know, but he thought I had graduated. Uh. And I said, but I, I actually never received my diploma. Then, you know, so he tr- he initially had started to kind of try and help me figure out a way to get the diploma, and then he ended up moving on. Okay. And so then my transcripts went back into my briefcase for, for a longer period of time, and they just sat there and sat there. And then, you know, out of the clear blue sky, I get a phone call from the then dean of the business school, school Judith Hennessy. Yep. Dr. Hennessy, and she said, congratulations, you know, we've, we've learned about your accomplishments that you've done in business and, and heard your story about you know, the fact that there was this one lingering class. So they actually had taken the class, but then they made, made me take some other exam at Chico. So I had taken the class and I didn't pass the exam. And uh-huh. that was why I needed to retake the class again. But somehow they were able to figure out a way. And she called and said, hey, congratulations. You're now a graduate of Chico State. We'd love to present you with your diploma. We were able to wait to figure it out. Not an honorary degree. It was an actual actual degree. That's so cool. And so um, two people from the business school came actually here to Cupertino. Mm-hmm. Personally delivered me my degree. And, um, you know, so as you said, it was, you know, it was probably about 30 years after I actually graduated or went through graduation ceremonies at Chico. But I graduated high school in 1982. So it was like 35 years after I graduated high school. But as you can see, I actually have the diploma still hanging oh, up on yeah. my wall there. Right there. And this is 1988. So the funny thing okay. is, actually, I went through graduation ceremonies in 88. My diploma says, or excuse me, went through graduation ceremonies in 87. Got my, my diploma says 88. I received my diploma in 2016, <laughs> which is kind of a funny, a funny story. But, you know, it's, it's, I've you know, come to find out later, it's not that uncommon of a story uh, that people get you know, all the way to the finish line college and don't, you know, they leave those last lingering a class or a test and they don't finish it off. So it's a big percentage of people that are in this, in the same boat I was in. Yeah. I think the key was I just had carried my transcripts and I was telling that story, how I wanted to get my degree constantly to different people. I wrote, I wrote it in my Monday morning mojo blog one time about how the fact that I didn't graduate, that was the first time my mom and dad know I found out. I oh, didn't no get way. My how long was that? That was probably 10 years ago. Okay. And so from that time, from time to time, you know, people that were kind of influencers would contact me. Hey, let me see if I could help. Let me see if I could help. And so eventually it happened, you know, and it was, it was a pretty cool thing. I love that you didn't give up on it. Yeah, I didn't give up on it. You know, it was, it's funny if I, I don't have them here now. I wish I did for this, this podcast so I could show them to you. I mean, they, my transcripts were in this old, well, at the time it was a white envelope, but literally the white envelope over the years started to turn kind of a, a tan color and all sure. the transcripts were getting kind of raggedy around the edges. And literally I just kept it. It was, and sometimes I may not even even look at the transcripts for years, uh-huh. but they were just always with me all the time, just in case I might, there might be a, a chance, you know, meeting with somebody or something. So, um, I guess it just goes to show if you kind of focus on something enough, it may take 30 years. But if you focus on it and you and you and you just and you're persistent, like I tell like to tell people, I'm 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 a, I'm pleasurably persistent. I don't I'm never I'm just you know I just kind of keep going, keep going, and eventually you know if you stick with it, some you know you'll get a breakthrough. Pleasurably persistent, I like that. Yeah, you know a lot of people can advice. be obnoxiously persistent, mm-hmm. 
I try not to be obnoxiously persistent. I'm just one of those that, you know, nicely will just keep poking at things, you know, and just kind of keep reminding. And, and eventually either, you know, I, through a number of different ways you get it, but a lot of times it's just people just get sick of you bugging them. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're nice. Yep. It's like, oh, my gosh, here's that Tom Tognoli guy again calling me for whatever it is. I mean, it's the same thing in business, right? You know, persistence is, is really the key, you know? And you actually, if you saw my Monday Morning Mo- Mojo blog last week, yeah, that's what I had talked about in sales. Sales is all about persistence. Oh yeah. You know, you, you're very rarely are you going to go talk to somebody and, and, and sell a product or sell them a house or sell whatever it is on your first appointment, you know, or your first contact. I mean, it, you know, I mean, I have people that work for Intero today that I called quarterly for a decade. Wow. You know, and then sometimes you're just waiting for, you know, uh, the right time, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not always the right time for everybody. Yeah. Timing is timing is everything, is but you have to just the key is you have to be persistent. You have to have a good system to make sure that you don't forget to be persistent. Good CRM, good follow up system, whatever it is, you know, because that's really what I've found is 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 one of the big keys to success. Um, and that that well, before I move on, actually, I want to know why was it so important that you were go like you wanted that degree? Why was that so important to you? School wasn't easy for me ever growing up as a kid. You know, I was a special ed kid in elementary school. I had reading mm-hmm. tutors, you know, back, you know, when I was growing up, you know, there there was nothing called dyslexia and there wasn't ADHD. You know, you were just kind of stupid and hyper, right? Mm-hmm. But I was a good kid. I was always a very well-behaved, well, re- I was respectful. You know, uh, my teachers always liked me, but I just struggled. It was hard for me. I couldn't read very well. And so, you know, I'd kind of just grinded and grinded and got through high school, went to Deanza Junior College, and got to Chico. And it was like, gosh, after all of that, I did it. And it wasn't easy. Yeah, I was a, I mean, I think I pulled my, if you pulled my, my transcripts, I think I was like a 2.54 GPA student. Okay. So it was like, I just scrapped and clawed. I'm a scrapper. Yeah. You know, and, you know, interestingly, it's obviously, you know, getting the degree um, at, at, at the point that I did two years ago wasn't going to impact my career anymore. Sure. You know, I don't know. It was just one of those nagging things. It just nagged me, you know, that it was like, God, I spent, you know, all this time going to college, you know, and I and I didn't get my degree. And it was actually, you know, even though I didn't, it was a little embarrassing. Oh, yeah. I, I could understand that. You know, it's embarrassing. Uh, I was embarrassed for myself, really, as much as having other people be embarrassed. I just like it was like it just it just felt like something I needed to do. And so that was it. It really there was no, you know, one big thing. It was just, you know, a goal that I never accomplished. And I just it was an important goal. My parents spent a lot of money to send me to school. OK. Yeah. You know? And um, my parents deserved it as much as I did. Yeah. You know, um, and, and again, my my parents now my dad's. 85 my mom's 83 you know uh, when they heard the story and then they got to go see me give the commencement speech at chica it was like i mean like surreal right you know here's their special ed kid that barely made it through school they weren't sure i'd ever graduate college which i actually didn't until two years before (laughs) you know now giving the commencement speech trying to inspire all these other young people that were like me to go out and uh pursue their dreams yeah that's a very inspiring story yeah um especially because you did struggle with dyslexia i think that really clicks for me is that you worked harder than most to try to earn that, and you fell so short. Yep. And you really, you did earn it. Yep. Yeah. So. Well, so there's a great book. Malcolm Gladwell's, well, I'm not sure if you've ever read any of his books. Great, great um, I actually listened to his podcast, and I've read one book, Tipping Points. David Point. and Goliath. Yeah. Tipping yeah. Points, good. David and mm-hmm. Goliath is all about, uh, he had done a, I can't remember exactly, but uh, he had been speaking to a bunch of very successful CEOs at some conference, you know, some of the best CEOs in the world. 
and he had asked a question of them, of all, the, I can't remember if there was 100 or 500 or how many were in the room. How many of you had some sort of a learning disability growing up? And the percentage of hands that went up was like staggering, like 50 or 60 percent. Wow. Of these, you know, super successful CEOs had some sort of a learning disability. And in Malcolm Gladwell's book of, you know, David and Goliath, he talks about, you know, when you, you know, a, a learning disability or any, anything like that can actually be a blessing mm-hmm. because it does help you. You have to learn to adapt. You know, everybody else can kind of just go down the same path, right? People that school's not as difficult for as it was for me can just kind of go down this path of normal. But when, you're, when you've got some sort of a, you struggle with something, you have to learn how to compensate for it. So you learn this whole other set of skills that other people don't have to learn to be able to compete and keep up and, 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 and survive, right? And so, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, whole thing was that it's, you know, actually the, those disabilities end up, if you can persevere and get through them, can end up being the biggest blessing in your career. Wow. You know? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that was something I wanted to actually touch on is, even though you had the dyslexia, yep. how did you, you're still successful. Yep. So, like, I, I wanted to lead into that, which is, how? how did you overcome the dyslexia? You know, well, first of all, certainly finding a career that, uh, you know, capitalized on my strengths. I was always very outgoing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always kind of entrepreneurial. I had a painting company when I was in college at Chico and Kansas. Okay. I had employees working for me. So I was always kind of a go-getter, you know, pleasurably persistent. You know, yeah. I was always a good salesperson. And, um, you know, and so that was that was a big part of it. I think another big piece of it was, you know, just aligning myself with the right people, you know, not just for business, but life, you know, and just you know, picking your colleagues and the people you spend the majority of your time with carefully because they can have such a huge influence on your career. And I, you know, I've said it in my numerous times I tell people, you know, my success is really the success of a lot of other people, my parents, my wife, kids, my friends, you know, my former partners that I own this company with people, agents that are still with us today that are that technically work for me. They inspire me in other ways. Right. And help mm-hmm. me to be successful. Um, but I think, again, it's that pleasurely. You just have to be persistent. You know, I just I, I just I push through the nose and I just have a very positive way about me, I guess. And God just wound me that way. What he didn't give me in, in maybe my ability to read really well, he compensated for in just kind of this wild, crazy, inspiring <laughs> energy. And I don't know why I have it. It's not like I don't fake it. I'm just that way. And so inspiring and leading salespeople and entrepreneurs is kind of just a natural kind of fits like a glove for me. Wow. I, I've seen, I've, you know, talking about Malcolm Gladwell's book, yep. like I've seen that as kind of a pattern, yep. uh, especially re- probably in the last week because mm-hmm. um, talking to you, I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast last yep. night and the woman he was interviewing um, was also in like the special ed classes yep. and now she's running VC, a yep. VC firm. Yep. Um, and then also I sat down with Scott Hansen this past week, who's a Chico alum, um, owns a financial advisory firm. And he also struggled in school because um, he was kind of hyper. And, yep, me too. Uh, so it seems like once you got out of school, you were because you learned all of those alternate skills. Yep. Trying to get through, trudge through, trudge through school, inch your way forward. That it actually ended up being a recipe recipe for success. Um, and my question is, what would your advice be for anyone who's dealing with that struggle right now? You know, I think the first thing is, you know, and it's going to sound funny, is like you got to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, physically, spiritually, you have to have a good relationship with friends and family because if you don't feel good about yourself, 
it's hard to get other people to feel good about you, right? So, I mean, literally, you know, eat right, exercise. That leads into your F5 It leads philosophy. into my F5 because for yeah. me, it's like, look, at I am ADHD, right? And I need to figure out a way to kind of, you know, wind myself down. And, and I just found that that's, that's a super important piece. And then same thing with eating right, right? You know, it's the same thing. If you, put, if, you, if you don't like what you see when you look in the mirror, it's hard for you to operate at a super high level, in my opinion. You know, so I would just say be persistent. Don't compare yourself to those, those people that are successful, super easy. School's successful and they're easy for them. Mm-hmm. You know, the reality of it is when you got to fight and scrap and kick and scream and, and claw um, and you're not an early bloomer, I think it's better. Because like a lot of what happens with a lot of the early bloomers I've seen, people that are super smart, and this isn't always the case. Obviously, a lot of them are, the majority of them are wildly successful. But some of them, if you even go back to your high school days and you think about, you know, the ones that were the early bloomers, whether it be in sports or drama or whatever it was, the best ones, and they just had that natural gift, you know, they, they didn't have to work as hard as, as I did. Yeah. And so I just learned this work ethic, probably, that others could, you know, when they were going for the majority of their life, they never had to work as hard as I did. So all of a sudden when they got in the job, they, they felt like they could keep doing the things that were doing, you know, when you were in school. But when you get in the, in the professional world, you know, everybody's got their ears pinned back and is going after it hard. So you just have to be show up earlier than everybody else. Mm-hmm. be on time, mm-hmm. you know, have a good attitude, dress for success. I mean, all the basic stuff that we talk about and that I'm sure you, you know, they talk about at Chica, just the, it's the foundational stuff, you know, um, walk fast. I mean, as funny as it sounds, people, I mean, literally you walk fast, it does something to your brain. Hmm. Like people always walk, like I'm walking around here quickly all the time. And it's not just, it's also to be the pace setter for the company. Yeah. You know, but it's also, it, it when I'm cranking and going fast, I, I just have more energy, more enthusiasm, yeah. more passion. So that's it. I would just say, but don't don't measure yourself when you're going to school based upon your grades. You know what? Um, because when you get in after your once you've got your first job, you know, you're set, it's like it, almost your edu- your education is important. And I still lean on a lot of the stuff I did learn going through college, you know, but but people don't care anymore. Yeah. Especially when once you get your first job, once you get your you, first, now it's, it's really about results. Now it's about results, and are you out there doing it? So you know, if you're a C student, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. You're doing as good as you can. That's okay. Just scrap and claw and get your C's, get your 2.54 grade point average, get your degree, and you know, and and just have confidence in yourself that you can. You're going to go out there and make it happen. I love it. What about alternatively, someone who things come naturally to? Yep. But you know, maybe they're falling behind on the scrappiness. Yep. How would someone maybe foster that? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, you know, listening to podcasts, stuff like this, reading books, you know, um, you know, I love biographies of, of very successful people. I think you, you, in most cases, when you see that stuff, you'll hear this kind of common characteristic. But I think, you know, um, it can't be a forced thing. It's got to be a natural thing. So you got to figure out ways to, how do you create energy for yourself? You know, and like I said, for me, it's, you know, it's happiness, it's, it's health and fitness, it's, um, you know, the spiritual piece, all of that has a positive impact, you know, um, but you're, you know, if you're introverted, how do you become extroverted? Probably pretty tough, you know, I'm not going to say it's impossible, you know, but you may need to just figure out a different way to do things. You know, but a lot of it's put a smile on your face. I mean, it's the basic stuff. You know, people, you know, it's like people will tell me here and it's like most people have never seen me mad. Yeah. I think I never get mad. Yeah. I 
get mad. I just, <laughs> it's me getting mad is none of your business. That's my problem. That's not your problem. So I don't get mad at you. I get mad at the situation. Um, and all of those little things, accumulation. The great, a great book to read is Jeffrey Olson's The Slight Edge. Accumulation effective doing the small things consistently over a long period of time is ultimately what leads to massive success. Wow. So just it's just accumulation of just smile on your face. Stand up tall. Dress right. Brush your teeth. Work out. Eat healthy. You're just going to feel better. You're going to have more energy and enthusiasm. Are you ever going to be as wild and crazy as I am? Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, you don't have to be like me, but you can, you know. Um, but, so really, maybe it's not energy and enthusiasm. It's more just you have to figure out a way to be positive. Mm -hmm. I think the only way you can be positive and see the glass half full is if you feel good about yourself. And so whatever that is that you need to do, make yourself feel good about yourself. That's going to that's going to be a big deal in, in your career. I mean, the, the big thing for these people that were that school was easy for is more that they, you know, when they jump into into the workforce, you know, it's they're going to have to do more that they than they did in college to stand out mm -hmm. right and so you, it's just you have to go above and beyond yeah actually i'm probably on the on that alternate side where i wasn't amazing at school mostly because i wasn't 100 percent focused on it neither was you i know? i was more um, focused on going to the bear on thursday night <laughs> <laughs> in college i got a little bit more serious but especially in high school i was just focused on sports yep that was all i was focused focused on but once i went to college and realized i wasn't gonna be a pro athlete yep i switched gears a little bit but I'm more introverted. Yeah, I can tell. And uh, but I'm still put like I I work at it. I put myself. I listen to podcasts. I read books. Follow people like you. Yep. And I mean, I'm creating a podcast, which is like the opposite of being introverted. Yep. So, um, but I think that's you, a perfect example, right? If it's you know, like people, like even for me, like public speaking is not natural for me. You know, people, but but people think I'm a good public speaker. Yeah. Because I do. But the reality of it is, I don't. I mean, I enjoy the. It's kind of like working out. I enjoy how it feels when it's over. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to church. Yeah. Or you go to church and it's like, oh, I don't want to go to church. But when you're done in an hour and you walk out, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I went. Yeah. And it's the same thing with 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 all of that. So you just you have to just you have to push yourself to get a little uncomfortable. And like me, when I was first started public speaking, I probably was not really good at it. Just like anyone. Like anybody, mm -hmm. but and it was un and, and and it was uncomfortable. But you just have to keep putting yourself out there. And every time you do it, you just get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And it's it's the same with everything. I love it. So I want to I want to switch gears a little bit to real estate. Yep. What intrigued you to get into real estate? Well, interestingly enough, so I tell people I'm an SOB, son of a broker. Okay. So my mom was in the real estate business. So most real estate people, quite honestly, don't get into this business right out of college. It's very unusual. Some do, but you know, most of them, it's, it's, it's a second career. As a matter of fact, as you, as you probably know, in the real estate industry, a big percentage of the realtors are female. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a big part of that is because you know, a lot of moms want to stay home with their kids. More flexible. And, right. Yeah. So they, you know, and, they, and they maybe had a professional career out of college yeah. and they worked for five or 10 years and they had a family and then they started either working part-time or they maybe were fortunate enough to you know, take full, be full-time with their children. And then all of a sudden now it's 10 or 15 years later or 20 years later, you want to go back to work, but you still want to be involved in your kids' lives. And you want to, so, uh, so you end up seeing a lot of those people, you know, kind of, kind of get into the real estate business, you know, um, you know, at that kind of an age. So, okay. Yeah. And when, tell me about your first real estate deal. Yeah. So, you know, for, for me getting in the real estate business, so again, remember I was a, so people, so I was SOB, son of a broker. Okay. And so on the surface, people would say, ah, oh, that's great. Your mom's in the real estate business. That's going to make life way easier for you getting in the real estate business. But, you know, I was a 24, 25 year old young man. Mm-hmm. 
kid, whatever you want to call it, fresh out of college. None of my friends could afford to buy houses. Sure. All of my friends' parents still thought I was a little kid. They weren't going to trust <laughs> me with, with, with handling their single largest <laughs> asset probably. And all of our family and family friends were off limits because that was my mom's business. So I literally had to cold call, knock on doors, you, you name it, I had to do it. And I and were you working for a company or were you still? For, I okay. was working for a, for a franchise company in, in the town I grew up in, a small little brokerage that's no longer in existence. Okay. You know, and I would literally, you know, make 50 contacts a day. Yeah. Um, and I grinded and I probably was six months before I sold my first house. Six months of 50 contacts a 50, day. Six that's months, grinding. 50 contacts a day, probably you know, dropping a thousand, you know, probably dropping 2,000 flyers a month at houses, holding open houses every weekend, trying whatever I could, you know, uh, and again, you know, so I think my first deal was probably not so much that the people knew that I was the best choice to help them, but they just respected my work ethic. Okay. You know, they were, and, and, and I was the, I like, I'm just a nice, I was a nice young kid, nice young man, right? I was professional. I was, you know, I was respectful and they saw me, they, and they, they would see me out there walking in this geographical area, dropping flyers like the mailman, doing whatever, <laughs> meeting people, you know, and, and I think people... You know, um, the first few deals I did, people just, you know, gave them to me, not because I was the best choice, but because they liked me and they wanted to, they wanted to help me. They wanted to help That's so more. Cool. They wanted to help me than me to help them. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. And so my first deal was, you know, so it's funny. So I worked for six months, didn't make any money. And I ended up, um, I'm trying to remember what this. So I sold my first little condo and the guy, fortunately, and I actually represented the seller. And fortunately, the agent that represented the buyer was an instructor for real estate at a local community college. Okay. Uh, and he was the nicest guy and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Sure. And he helped me <laughs> through the process for the same reason. He was like, he was a nice guy. He's probably 20, 30 years older than I was. And he just kind of helped me through the process. And again, because I didn't fake it either. That's the other thing is you can't, a lot of people say fake it until you make it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and there's a certain part of that, but you know, I, I was never afraid to tell people what I didn't know. I would always tell, and I, th I think that's one of the big mistakes. A lot of, uh, new people or people that are insecure in their position make, they feel like they have to have the answers to all the questions. Like, and I tell people, look, your attorney doesn't have the answers to all the questions. Your doctor doesn't have the answers to all the questions. That's why they read textbooks. That's why they, they go to the internet. That's why they have specialists in different areas. Yeah. So, you know, I think if you're in sales like I am, or you, you really just need to understand you're, you're really just a resource to be able to go get those answers. And then eventually you started Intero Real Estate. Yep. Um, and so I asked on social media for a couple of questions yep. that people might have. And so Jenny DeWitt asked, she wanted to hear the story of how Ontario got started and sure. why you started it. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were working, you know, so myself and, and some, and some people I had been in the business with for a long time, um, had this opportunity. We were approached by an angel investor, mm -hmm. um, that said, you know, Hey, we, we will give you the capital to start a real estate company in essence. Um, we had a pretty good reputation. So it wasn't the other way around. An investor came to you. Us and said, Why hey, did they come to you? Because they were in the title insurance business. And so okay. you, the way to get um, um, make money in the title insurance business is you have to have relationships with real estate agents. Mm. And so they figured if they funded us, we could create that re relationship and we could hopefully help drive some business to their, their title insurance business. So going back to not knowing something, yep. what exactly is title insurance? So title insurance is when you buy a house, 
you need to have a third-party intermediary that basically handles all of the loan documents. So the, the lender sends the loan documents there. They make sure that the title to the property is clear when you transfer title from the seller to the buyer so that the okay. buyer doesn't inherit debts okay. or liens that are on the property. And they just make sure that the title is transferred from, you know, buy, from seller to buyer. That makes sense. And, and, and they make money doing that. They charge title fees and escrow fees. Mm-hmm. So they gave us the capital to start the company, and we built the company. And then, in uh, you know, it just kind of went gangbusters. So a big part of it is, look, we had the capital to start the company, which, which you know, that's a big piece. That of helps. It. That's a huge part of it, right? It's, you know, we had millions of dollars that we could start Intero with in the very beginning, which you know most people don't have that luxury, right? No. And so we, so we just started, you know, recruiting realtors from other companies was a big piece of it. We had a great training program, and you know, we had, you know. It, I would like to think a good reputation, all of the guys that founded it originally. And so we just, it was, it was kind of like going back to starting a real estate again. I mean, literally I was pounding on the phones every day from my backyard because we didn't have any offices. Yeah. I would make up 50 to a hundred phone calls a day. Man. Real estate agents. Hey, this is Tom Tognoli. We started a hot new company over here at Cupertino. We'd love to talk to you about, you know, your real estate business and how we can help you grow your business. Would you be interested? So from all my competitors, I was recruiting realtors <laughs> and all of our other founders were doing the same thing. And the company just kind of, and the timing was good. And the company just kind of grew, 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 grew. And then in 2000, and um, I'm trying to go back through my, my head here. 2000, uh, we barely made it through the recession. Uh, but in 2000. Um, you told me 2007. Yeah, you I'm, I'm it. trying to remember. I was, that's not right, though. So I'm trying to think. Because we, we sold to Berkshire Hathaway four and a half years ago. So what does that put us 2012. At? 2012. That's Ish. probably right. Yeah. So 2012. So basically for the first 10 years, you know, for the well, actually for the first five years, we had an angel investor. The next five years, it was me and three other guys bought the angel investor out. Mm-hmm. So April of 2007 to till we sold it in 2012, there was me and three other guys that owned the company and the world was imploding and we almost lost everything. Our houses, our company just like a lot of people. But fortunately, you know, with a lot of luck, a lot of hard work and doing what we needed to do, we were able to survive. And ultimately, you know, we were able to, you know, we were approached by Berkshire Hathaway and sold it to them. Yeah. But what attracted people to us is the culture. That's the most important thing to people. And what, what's the culture? At it's really about the whole F5 thing. Faith, family, friends, fitness, finance. It was our values. It's Amazing. Like, yeah. That, that's really, that's what, at the end of the day, that's what people care the most about. They mm-hmm. want to work with people that care, that have good values. I mean, that's what come all the junk going all over the news right now. I mean, you just, right. It's all about, you know, these, a lot of these companies that didn't have a good culture and leadership. I mean, you yeah. in the news today, yeah. right. It's all, and people want to be a part of that. Which is good because they know, look, if you become the average of the five people you spend the majority of your time with, mm-hmm. yeah, if you spend time with, with us, I, we knew that there was nobody who was going to work harder than, than, the share, than the founders and shareholders of Intero and that would care more about their people and their success than we would. And that was why, and, that, and that ultimately that's it. I mean, you could say we have beautiful offices, which we do, and you know, we, have, we have a good technology platform and all of that, but at the end of the day, it still boiled down to relationships. And it boiled down to people wanting to be part of a good culture that was going to help them be more successful. And when you bought the company mm-hmm. in 2007, yep. we hit that very big yep. recession, Recession, specifically based on uh, the housing market, yep. which that sounds extremely hard yep. to get out of. And you barely touched on it. So I want to dive deeper into that and kind of get a sense of like what, what was going on in your head, like what was your self-talk while you're trying to get through that and like how are you still trying to motivate your team? Well, so first I'll tell you there's comfort in numbers. So I was glad I had three partners. 
Okay. Um, because you can't always be up, yeah. right? So you had somebody to commiserate with when things weren't going so good and celebrate with when things are, you know, if, if, I, if I, I honestly, if I had done it completely by myself, I don't know if I would have had the inter- internal fortitude to kind of make, make it through, you know, all that challenging time. So um, out of the three, at least one of you, one of you was, was like, yeah, oh, we got this. We let's got go. This, let's okay. go. Like, hey, you know, and so it was like, okay, we're going to do it, you know. And, you know, a big thing that, that we learned was, you know, from 2002 to 2007, you know, as we were growing the company, you know, and when things are booming, people tend to think it's going to be like that forever. forever. And we were yeah. the same, right? And yeah. so you end up, you know, spending too much money on things that really aren't necessary, right? So, you know, when the recession hit, we, we started, basically cutting costs millions of dollars the problem is we couldn't do it fast enough right we had big leases employee expense so really it was just about right sizing the company you know uh, that was that was the first first big step um you know the other thing was just go out and start and become even a bigger recruiter so even during all that time of the downturn a lot of the companies didn't make it we made it a lot of them didn't so a lot of those agents that were these other companies didn't make it we were the you know we were the safe haven right so we were recruiting tons of realtors even though we were still losing money, cutting expenses, unfortunately had to lay off some people, you know, renegotiate leases on buildings, yeah. you, know, you name it, we did it. You know, but when we came out of the recession, we went. We came out of the recession like a hundred times better than we were going into it. Wow! Because we we had right sized the company financially, mm-hmm. and we had because so many other companies had gone out of business because they either couldn't right size their company financially or they didn't have the the resources to survive. You know. And, and a lot of these agents that were other companies were struggling and they were looking for leadership and culture and, and training and, you know, a great environment, which we provided. So, you know, uh, it was kind of crazy, you know, but we were recruiting tons of realtors, cutting expenses, you know, and then when we came out of the recession, it's like we just came out of there. We, it was like somebody shot us out of the cannon. Wow. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that was it. I mean, that's how we survived it. I mean, it was it was no there's no magic bullet. It was a combination <laughs> of a whole lot of things. It, it, it kind of goes back to the scrappiness. Yeah. You went through that, but you know, being a blessing. It was. It was. A, I mean, I yeah. I mean, look, I don't ever want to go through it again. <laughs> and, you know, fortunately, we sold the company and, and I don't think, you know, probably in my lifetime, there'll be something that was kind of like the Great Depression. Right. Yeah. But that which does not kills you makes you stronger, and that was a perfect example of it, right? I, I'm better. I'm a better person for it. Um, you know, I pr- certainly appreciate some of the things I probably didn't appreciate before that. The little things. Is there an example? Um, the house you live in, the car you drive, you know, the vacations you can go on with your families, and all these things that you just thought wouldn't, you know, it's like I got this, you know. And then all of a sudden, now it's like the roses. You know, you made it through something like that. You see everything through it. You're just much more appreciative. Of your pe- of people, you're appreciative of the things you have, material things, non-material things. It doesn't matter. You're just appreciative. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you've been through a couple recessions. That three, probably yes, eighty nine, two thousand one, two thousand seven, eight ish. Yep. Um, and we haven't had a recession for ten ish years, well, and we're kind of due for one. Well, they were just talking on CNBC this morning. So this, as of August twenty second, this will be the longest bull market in history. Yeah, which going back to everyone thinks it's gonna keep happening. We're gonna keep going up. Yep. Realistically, it's probably not gonna happen. So since you've been through a couple and you've actually Survived. ended up becoming really successful after them, yep. And that that seems like a I've heard a few companies. Yeah, that, that's happened to if you can survive it, you're going to thrive after. Right. What would your advice be for maybe students that are about to graduate and going to hit a recession? And then same with business owners. Yeah. You know, um, live below your means. 
Great advice. Huge thing. Just live below your means. You know, don't put yourself out, you know. And and I know it's hard when you're young and you're just getting started. I mean, it's like you almost spend every nickel you make just kind of surviving, right? You know, I think that's the big thing. And just don't get complacent. I actually heard, watched an interview uh, one time with uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs said, he goes, I'm a constant warrior. I worry every day. It's like it's like you're almost paranoid Hmm. like that. You know, you have to. It's like kind of this weird thing. You got to keep super positive and upbeat. Yeah. But you also just in the you also just need to be you can't put your head in the sand. Right. You, You Because now I can look being in the real estate business. It's so obvious to me if I go back to that we were going to have a financial meltdown and the real estate industry was going to be a big piece of it because of fraudulent loans and all of that, which was a big part of it because it was all happening prior to the and now it's just so obvious that that was ultimately what was going to happen. So you just have to be observant. Okay. You have to pay attention to what's going on. And when something feels like it's not right, you know, and it, and it seems like it's getting worse, you know, um, you know, bad behavior is eventually going to turn out bad. Okay. You know, and so the bad behavior was, you know, you had people getting mortgages that shouldn't have been getting mortgages. Yes. You know, you had, which is ultimately really what led to a big part of, you know, a big part of what, what caused the recession, mm-hmm. you know, so bad behavior leads to bad results. Good behavior leads to good results. I mean, that's probably a, just a, you know, a simple thing to remember as you're going through it. But just think the same thing. If even when money's, you know, flowing, where can I cut expenses? Where can I, you know, uh, don't wait for the downturn to come because I can't remember the exact dollar. I think we cut our annual operating expense by $8 million from the start of the recession to like three years later. The problem is we couldn't cut $8 million in a month. Right. Yeah, you you couldn't cut that, that you couldn't cut that that burn rate. Right. That burn rate was stuck there. So yeah, it took us like 18, 24 months to right size the company. And you had to keep making the, those payments on the leases and all the other stuff. So just don't get too far out over your skis. You know, and it just my other thing is be humble. Yeah. Be humble all the time. Don't don't get cocky. Don't get arrogant. You know, be respectful. Um, you know, one of the things I do is like I notice things like I won't I paid attention to how do people teach a wa- how people treat the waiter at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, those are good indicators to me. It's like I, I treat everybody the same. I don't care if you're the plumber, you know, or you're, you know, the CEO of a company. I treat everybody with respect, you know, uh, is a super important part. That's incredible. I think all of that was uh, was amazing advice. And it actually touched on Nathan asked, uh, where's the real estate heading in the near future? <laughs> you think something like that is going to happen soon? You know, again, I, nobody knows, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the the chairman of the Federal Reserve is a PhD, you know, and all of the you know the people on the Federal Reserve are wrong a big percentage of the time, of right? Course. So nobody really knows, you know. And I can only really talk to the Bay Area housing market mostly, you know, um, a little bit nationally. I mean, it doesn't appear that we have a lot of the same issues we had last time. Mm-hmm. There's certainly a lot more risk that's starting to be taken, not so much in the real estate business. I mean, I'm optimistic about real estate. I think that as goes the S&P 500, goes the Bay Area housing market. Okay. It's the, if they, they pretty much are in, almost in lockstep. Yeah. So if you're, you know, you're optimistic about, you know, the, the Bay Area economy, and, you know, we all know that yesterday, you know, Apple hit a trillion dollar market yeah. cap. Amazon's probably not far behind. Granted, they're not necessarily in the Bay Area, but they're a huge, you know, that they're a probably a huge indicator of just the overall health of the economy because so many people sell products through Amazon. And they're involved in so many industries. And they're involved in so many industries. I mean, certainly, look at I, I mean, we've been on a long run, you know, and there's going to be a recession, you know, right? Um, but the one thing I tell people, there, it's never a bad time to buy a house. There's only better times. 
and 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 but it's always a good time to buy a house and get in the real estate business or get in the real estate industry or be an investor in real estate you know historically if you go over time i bought my first house in october of 1989 you know what happened october of 89 yeah. earthquake uh stock market crash i was upside down in my house which means i owed more on my house than it was worth for like five years oh my gosh but i sold my house um 10 years later. So I bought it in 89 and I sold it in 1999. Now it had gone through a massive roller coaster. So I bought it at the top. It dropped down. I owed more on it than what it was worth. And I was able to sell it 10 years later for twice what I paid for it. So you just have to be able, that's like real estate's like a, tell people it's a t seven to 10 year cycle, right? It's yeah. Like, so, you know, anything, if you're, if you're buying a piece of property and you, and you plan to hold it for much less than that, it's more speculation uh, than it is long-term investing. But if you're, you know, I'm, 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 optimistic about the bay area you know, housing market um jobs lack of supply of housing and that's not going to change you know nationally it's, it's hard to say i mean i'm not an expert you know when you see some of these areas that you see a lot of housing get built you know those are the ones like that's come like places like las vegas and arizona and florida and even out in the central valley uh, sacramento got hit so much harder from a housing standpoint in the recession in the bay area because they had such an excess supply of housing yeah and we don't have that so much here in Silicon Valley, right? <laughs> yeah, you have uh, over demand of people trying over to live demand, here. There's no land. Mm -hmm. You know, really, it's all infill, right? They're infilling and, and doing stuff like that. But you're not gonna you go to you go to Vegas or Arizona, and it's just you know they they can keep building as long as they want to keep building, because there's an unlimited supply of land yes. that doesn't that doesn't exist here. So as long as if we all think that uh, innovation and technology are going to continue to be a big part of our lives, which I think we all would agree are going to be. Yes. I just uh, there's gonna be ups and downs, but I don't think see any you know even even in 19 um, 2007 2008 2009 Silicon Valley housing prices maybe dropped at worst case 15 percent, where the rest of the companies the country some of them dropped 50 60 70 percent. Oh yeah, and we bounced off the bottom really quickly. You know, so it was kind of a whipsaw during the recession. So you know, prices dropped 15 percent quickly when the when the stock market crashed. But the minute we came out, the prices kind of shot back up relatively quickly as well. Well, that was that was very insightful. Thank you. And I want to go back to when you sold your company yep. to Berkshire Hathaway, which yep. is a Warren Buffett company. Yep. And I was recently watching a YouTube video where Warren is talking about kind of his philosophy on buying companies. Yep. And he only buys some of the best companies that are managed by some of the best people uh, in that industry. Right. Great leaders which since you're one of the leaders of the company, that must make you feel really good that their company believed in, in Tarot and believed in ultimately you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, I, you know, it's funny, you know, and I guess this is, it's part of my DNA. It's like, you know, because of my title and what we've done, people think I'm somebody and I don't <laughs> see myself that way. Okay. I just don't, you know, I'm just, I'm a scrapper. So yeah, it's cool, you know, but it's like, it's, it, it's, it's hard to get the perspective what people from the outside see of me and see of Intero because I'm, I live it every day, right? It's, yeah. you know, I, my life's pretty much the same as everybody else's. It's not, you know, not that big of a deal. But yeah, no, he buys good companies and, and, and everything that you probably heard about Warren Buffett, I can tell you from our first four years of being part of the, you know, Berkshire Hathaway family companies is true. Which is they, they kind of let you do your thing, but if you want help, they have the resources. Yep, yep, that's exactly what it is. I mean, the big things they help us with really are 
our human resources. Mm-hmm. Obviously, our financials all roll up to up to our parent, and then they keep rolling. And that actually, <laughs> you know, it's worth three removed from what you guys all think of Warren Buffett. Yeah. Right? But they all roll up up there. So it's really, you know, they're big things. And again, we've been in a booming market since we got acquired. So of course things are good. But if you're if you run a good shop and you're a smart smart business, you know, person. They pretty much are just here to help you and give you, as you pointed out, the resources that you need to be successful. And what was, not many people have sold a company. Yep. What was that experience like? You know, it's it's stressful, right? You know, it's, it's especially, you know, depend, it's all depends upon the size of your company, right? You know, there's a, I mean, it was probably a six to eight month process. Yeah. To go through, the, they had to go through all their due diligence, auditors out here scrubbing everything. Fortunately, we, you know, when we got acquired, we didn't have to change the name of our company. So all, all we had to do was add, we're a Berkshire Hathaway affiliate as a, as a marker on our, our logo, which actually was a great thing, right? Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to say that they're a Berkshire Hathaway affiliate? Exactly. Right? So, um, yeah, that part of it was, was, was you know, was relatively straight, you know, was straightforward. And probably one of the biggest changes was, you know, the four you know, uh, owners that owned it, me and my three other partners, one of my partners took a different job with basically Berkshire Hathaway. Okay. So he left. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my other partners is in his last year and he'll retire Okay. at the end of the year. So it's me and one of my, and that was kind of the weird thing, right? You know, now I, I went from having the four musketeers and we could all kind of work together and bounce things off of each other to now trying to have to figure out how to do a little bit more of that on my own. Fortunately, though, being part of uh, Berkshire Hathaway, there's a lot of other great CEOs like you know, across the country that I can oh, tap wow. into. Right. Yeah. So they own, I can't 30 companies, some bigger, some smaller than Intero yeah. nationwide. So I can call the CEO in Southern California or in Alabama or wherever and say, hey, I got this issue. What do you think I should do? That's uh, so cool. So you just kind of learn to you know, tap into all of those resources. I've heard a lot that it kind of gets lonely at the top. Yep. Because, you know, if you there's issues, you can't really talk to people because you're right. You're the owner, you're the CEO. Luckily, you've had the four musketeers. Yep. So that's been nice. But or four having, stooges sometimes. We would call <laughs> <ourselves>. <laughs> um, but having that, that access to that network kind of helps alleviate huge. that. That's huge. That's huge. And so even little things like, uh, you know, I, I, I request it, and I've done this for a lot of them. So, you know, we have email distribution lists, right? within the company. So for example, like I have all my managers, right? They're on one email distribution list. So I can send an email to this distribution list and all of the managers get my communications. Yeah. I have CEOs from a lot of the other home services company that get that are on that distribution list. So they get basically be a fly on the wall and see how I'm trying to motivate and kick the butt of our managers to do their jobs and inspire them and the materials that are coming out. And then I've requested to do the same thing. So maybe they're a completely different brand. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Long Realty in, in Arizona and the CEO is a great lady and she does a phenomenal job. I can just be a fly on the wall and see all the cool things she's doing at her company, steal her ideas and make them mine. That's so cool. So it's just that's another big piece is making sure that you share everything. Yeah. You know, and, and if you share, you know, ask, ask in return. You don't. So I don't need to do it all on my own. You know, I, I just I just kind of watch other people's pay attention. I just steal other ideas. You know, turn them into my own style and then roll them out to the company. For one, that's very good advice. But yeah. two, I never really put that together with kind of conglomerate like yep. Berkshire or Hathaway. Like that's a strategic advantage yep. for all of their different branches. That's that's uh, that's really neat. Yeah. I mean, to have, I mean, you've got some of the smartest people in the country, <laughs> you know, that you can tap into for pretty much anything and everything you could possibly imagine that you would ever need. You know, that we don't have to reach out to them. I'm not required to, but, you know, I have, you know, you know, and a lot of times you already know what the answer is. 
you just need somebody to reinforce it. And yeah. That you're, hey, before I jump off this bridge, I just want to make sure I'm making the right choice. I experience that all the time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so you have to, and that's another big part of success is you have to, I think, uh, don't be afraid to ask people for their opinion, you know, and uh, you know, get input from others. Don't just try and do it all on your own, you know. And, you know, I, I like people to challenge me, you know, be my devil's advocate, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, of course, let's all do it with respect and with, uh, you know, uh, be professional about it. But, you know, I don't want yes people. If, if, if they think I'm doing something wrong, tell me. I'll tell somebody else, hey, I think, yeah, you should yeah, you think twice <laughs> before you take that jump off the bridge. You know, it's a long way you know, <laughs> kind of thing, right? So, yeah. I know we started a little late. You know, it's already 1110 and I yep. want to respect your time. I have a few more rapid fire questions. That's fine. Go ahead. Fire away. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. So Stephen Bates asked, what are some of the barriers to entry when you first started in in Tara? Barriers, I mean, the biggest barrier to entry for most people is capital, cash. Yeah. Right? I mean. um, But you had help with that. We had the financial out. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a big piece to do it. I mean, you know, to, you know, and that's why there's private equity and VC and all of that. We didn't have, we had a, we had a private, so basically we had private equity. We had a private investor. You know, biggest barriers to entry, you know, it's. I, I, I can't even think that there was, I never really saw there being a barrier. It was really just making sure that everybody was working hard and we were all on the same page and recruiting like crazy. I mean, it's all, you know, that's going to, you, you we kicked it off and, and hey, everyone's a salesperson, right? Yeah. Like, CEO, I'm a salesperson. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and you I, started at the bottom too, worked your way up. Yeah. You have yeah. to be, you're, if you're the receptionist at the front desk, you're in sales. Mm-hmm. First, imp- I mean, you're probably, you may be more important to our sales than anybody. It's all about, how do you greet somebody? You know, uh, do you have a smile on your face? It's just those little things make a huge difference. Um, you know, but I wouldn't say there was really a barrier. I mean, the, probably the biggest is, is you know, um, time time in the business, right? You know, if you're, you know, we had we had a track record, we had a reputation, we had experience, we had money. You know, if you were a brand new agent, and I do see a lot of, you know, the barrier to entry in the real estate business is pretty low. Okay. Yeah, you can go yeah, take there's a test. A lot. They, yeah. go, and a lot of realtors, right? Mm-hmm. And so you see a lot of people thinking they can go do it on their own because on the outside, everything looks easy when you look at somebody else do it, right? Yes, it always you look, does. You look at, you know, Michael Phelps swimming. God, man, it looks so simple. <laughs> you know, he just is fluid and easy. It seems like I should be able to. It's, it's hard to make it look that easy. It's hard to make it look that easy. I mean, and it's back to Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hours, right? Yeah. For, for mastery, right? You know, and then a lot of people want to start, you know, go conquer the world and they put no time in or 100 hours in. It's like, you know, it's 10,000 hours to become an outlier, right? You know, that's that's how many hours it is to really develop mastery. You have to do something. If you're a piano player, guitarist, computer programmer. So you have to really lay that groundwork before you get started. Absolutely. I mean, from that, just to kind of summarize, even though you didn't directly say it, I would want to add it's, uh, of course, your reputation, yep. which if you don't have that, then it goes to effort. Yep. And that's really the only barrier. So if you're willing to put in the work and the effort, you, you know, and there's a good opportunity there, you can be successful. Yep, absolutely. Um, awesome. And then uh, actually another guest that I had on the podcast, mm-hmm. he asked, what are three recipes to, su- to your success? Um, re- three recipes to success. Well, it's like there's so many things. I'm just trying to think what are the three. I mean, you know, uh, accountability, discipline, organized, execution, so I'm just trying to think, you know, what, what I mean, I can't say there's just three things. I, I mean, a big part of it is just, you know, your attitude, your mental, your mental state, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I, when I meet with an agent who's struggling in the business or anybody who's struggling, I ask them for two things. Let me see your schedule. Let me see your business plan. And 
And inevitably, those agent people that are struggling look have that look of terror on their face because they never took the time to put together a business plan. And if they have a schedule, they either don't have a schedule and they just try to keep everything in their head, or they have a schedule and it's completely blank. Yeah. You know, so those to me, really, if you look at, you know, the keys to like business success beyond all of the intangible part, it's like you better put together a solid plan, build a plan, Mm -hmm. and then take those action items that you need to do to accomplish that goal, those goals in that plan and plug them into your schedule. And when you show up to work every day, you can't think about what you need to do. You just need to do what's in your schedule. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you have, I mean. Most people spend the majority of the day thinking about what they need to do instead of actually doing it. Yeah, a lot of the work day gets wasted. Just wasted because they're tra- they don't have a system. It's not a schedule. They're bouncing from one thing to another, and there's no efficiency. You know, and you just can't get it all done if you're if you're if you're. Do- I have, and I would say the last thing is I have something to call it: uh, do it, delegate it, or delete it. I go to bed every single night with my inbox empty in my emails. I've heard of that before, the, yeah. the kind of the three Ds three to your D. inbox. Do it, yeah. delegate it, or delete it. I go to bed every night with my inbox empty, and I'm on every single email distribution list in our entire company. Every <laughs> office, I get over probably 300 emails a day. Oh, my gosh. Now, not all, and really maybe only 10, or 10 of them are directed to me, but exactly. I tend to be a little bit of a fly on the wall so I can mm-hmm. see what's happening in the company. Not that I'm... And a lot of, I don't read, but, but I go to bed every night. People know, you know, um, it, you know, GSD. Yep. I get shit done. Get shit done. <laughs> I love it. You know, that's it. Right. So it's like, you, but you have to have a system. You have to be organized and you have to cognoli time, be five minutes early, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and it's just the key. Um, you, in your biz talk, you talked about how kind of a company quote that you pushed really hard was do less better, not yep. more worse, yeah. which I absolutely love. And yep. I use all the time whenever I realize I'm one of those people I try to do too much. Yep. And I, I bring it back. Is that still an active quote or are you Every, pushing it, something else? No, that's, that yeah. means to me, it's just, you know, I think one, one of the things that happens is people think uh, more stuff is going to make you better, mm-hmm. more technology, more whiz bang this, whiz bang that, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, yeah, just, less better, you know, don't do more worse. You know, um, actually this year's theme is I changed it, but it's really the same thing as dig deep. Yeah. I saw that on your email. Yeah. So it's, and then, and that's kind of the same thing. It's like, let's not, let's not dig a hundred holes a foot deep. Let's dig one hole, hundred feet deep. Yeah. You know, because if we dig a hundred holes a foot deep, you know, kind of the analogy, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. I dig, I dig one hole a hundred feet deep or however deep it is. I may hit oil, whatever. Right. Yeah. And I think you just, I think people are just spread too thin. People don't like to say no. You have mm-hmm. to, that's another thing you just have to learn to be comfortable with. You have to learn to tell people, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. You know, um, none of this, we have, my, my former partner and I have the funny line. If you ask somebody to do something, they say, oh, well, maybe they just didn't have the guts to tell you no. Okay. Because they're not going to show up. Yeah. Maybe means no. Yeah. It's just their, it's just a, you know, a weak way of saying no, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, and it's it is it can be very hard to say no but to yeah, everything. No, hey, look, I mm-hmm. just can't do it. I've got other things going on. I, I appreciate the invitation. Don't take it personal, but you have to just people just overcommit themselves way too much to a bunch of stuff that they really don't want to do or things that are just not productive. So, a couple more rapid fire questions. What was your first job? Um, out of college or just first like, job ever? Ever. I worked for Angels Hardware Store in Sunnyvale. Um, what did you learn? Uh, if anything, that I didn't want to work at Angel's Hardware Store for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and what did I learn? You know, I mean, I was young, sixteen. Um, you know, how did you eat a number sixteen at Togo's at lunch? Um, <laughs> <laughs> a large, by the way. Um, no, I, I, you know, I, I that was probably it. That I just knew that I that's you know it was a fun job, but that's not what I want to do the rest of my life. 
you know, and like I said, I, I told you earlier, I started a painting company when I was 18, you know, and I can remember at the time I moved companies, but I was still working at a hardware store. It was called Mitten Lumber and Supply in mm-hmm. Mountain View. I remember my boss, his name was Mauricio, you know, and I was 18. I told him I'm going to start a painting company and he just told me there's no way. Oh, wow. And I was like, that was just like, gave me the fuel I needed, yeah. you know, and uh, so, I th- so I've never really ever worked for anybody since I was 18 years old. I've always kind of, even because even when you're a realtor, you're an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, now today you technically could argue that I work for Berkshire Hathaway, but it's really, I mean, I still run the company. It's, yeah. it's my thing. So I've just, um, yeah, so I've, that's it. Great answer. Who has been your greatest mentor? And why? I've had a lot of them depending upon the equities of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my former partners, Gino Blafari, grabbed a hold, he's nine years old of me, grabbed a hold of me as a young business person and, and been a great business mentor for me. Um, you know, my other partner, Bob Moles, um, my wife, agents. I mean, there's so many, but it depends upon what it is, right? There's, there's so many, I don't think you can just have one mentor. You know, I would say from a, from a business standpoint, um, it's probably Gino who was my former partner that's now running that other company at Berkshire Hathaway. Why was he the one of the be- better? Um, why does he stand out? He challenged me like nobody I've ever met. You know, it's like I, I tell people, when you worked with Gino, either either you had to be out in front of him, because if you were behind him, like in, in anything, you had to be more intense, more focused, show up earlier, be more disciplined, because if not, he ran your ass over. <laughs> you know, and he, he just he led by great example. Okay. You know, he was a hard worker, had the most positive attitude in the world even during all the recession it was like he never had a doubt that we would survive he was probably the only uh, the rest of us i think at times were like oh my god but he just is like was bulletproof to it wow you know and so um has to be inspiring yeah he was a very he's very inspiring but then like i said there's others that you know uh that you know are mentors when it comes to like all those equity family faith family friends fitness finance right it depends um so yeah and so you've talked a lot about books and they seem like they've impacted your life Quite a bit. Although I don't read a lot, I listen more than I read. Actually, I do the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's way I can listen way faster than I can read. I can so. read. Yeah, I can listen yeah. way faster than I can read. And I uh, and actually, I, I for me, when it comes to reading, I like reading uh, things that are less than probably five to ten pages. So like uh, a lot of magazines, okay. newspapers, the internet's Articles. great for me. Oh yeah, you know. But for me to read a three hundred page book is almost impossible because mm-hmm. I just don't have the attention span to last the month it's going to take me to get through it. So what has been the greatest, what book has made the biggest impact on your life? Um, not to get too spiritual, of course, the Bible Okay. Um, is big, you know, but that's something that probably didn't become important until my mid-30s. Interesting. Just never, you know, you think you're immortal until you're in mid-30s. Yeah. Know? Then you start to realize, like, oh, my gosh, I could get hit by a car and, you know, all these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a book called um, Power of Full Engagement. I can't even remember who the author was, but when I went through a, that big change in my life in my mid-30s where I really kind of just, you know, I, I decided to take from the day instead of just get through the day, um, you know, that powerful engagement, which kind of goes back to this thing that we had talked about with, you know, um, all those equities in your life are a, a big part. So it's like, you know, if you want to be successful in business, you know, what's holding you back may have nothing to do with business. Oh, 100 percent. It may be that you, you're, you know, your marriage is in shambles or yeah. you have this guilt because you don't see your children enough or you're not taking care of yourself or, or you have just other challenge relationships. And that was just a good just a good kind of foundational book. All the Malcolm Gladwell books. Yes. Awesome. I, I love them all. Um, I, I mentioned Slight, Slight Edge is a great book um just about the accumulation effect of doing the small things consistently over a long period of time but then just like biographies like the warren buffett biographies is a great one okay i'll have um, to check that one out yeah you know and all the books you've already said but yeah, yeah i'm trying to think what was the other one um yeah i mean I, I mean i like just reading about 
interesting people. Yes. That have, like I'd love, I mean, I don't think there's a book that Jeff Bezos at this point in his life hasn't written a book, probably because he's too busy building Amazon, but someday he will. It'll probably be a great book to read. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know? be incredible. I mean, I think you learn so much more from people's experiences as opposed to, you know, theory. That's, that's part of the reason why I started the podcast. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Which it's is like, the title of the podcast is Experience Speaks. I don't know if I yeah. mentioned that. But, yeah. Um, so I, I, I absolutely love that. I have three more questions. Sure. What has been the best investment of your time? Best investment of my time? Yeah. Not everyone, you know, especially if college students, they don't have money, but they have time. Yeah. So. The best investment of my time. Um, we go back, back to taking care of yourself. That's a big part of investment of your time. Spend time every day taking care of yourself, making yourself be the best you you can be. Um, most important, it's like it, it's, you know, it's, and again, I'm, we're in sales, right? So for mm-hmm. us, it's all about lead generation. Yeah. Doesn't And for me, even as CEO of the company, I'm trying to acquire companies, recruit realtors, still help our manager recruit realtors, keep our realtors. It's uh, you have to be constantly focused on uh, growing your business, not managing your business, if that makes sense. It does. You have to be you have to be grow. I mean, look at even that's like, um, you know, if a company is not growing, you see their stock price drop. Yeah. Right. Even if they stay the same, they're still going to drop the price. Of the oh, stock, yeah. You know, and so. You have there's always that kind of balance between um, you don't want things to be you know in in shambles behind you but at the same time you have to be focusing on always be looking to grow 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 never be don't be complacent don't be satisfied you know you're never done if that makes sense yeah it it absolutely makes sense um, you know there's that common phrase if you're not growing you're dying yeah yeah. It's like we we used to say it's uh, if you're not moving forward you're moving backwards all the same oh, yeah. stuff but you yeah. have but you you know and it's an everyday thing you, know, you can't take your foot off the gas you know I mean tap the brakes but you got to keep your foot on the pedal all the way to the floor I believe in that time, you know uh, what are you excited about in the next six months to a year what am I excited about in the next six months to a year um, from a business standpoint you know just continue to grow our business you know expand our business. You know, uh, you know, continue to have a positive impact on the people that are with us and help them be successful. Uh, I mean, that's that's it. Yeah, that's, it. that's great. Um, last question. What legacy do you want to leave on the world? Um, for me, is you know, um, I liked him. You know, I have a good reputation. Hopefully people say, you know, he had, you know, had a little bit of a positive impact on me. Okay. Yeah, you know, really, that's, you know, that's my job now, really, to just try and inspire people to, to do more than they could if I wasn't there, right? So, and that's not just at work. That's just my friends and my family. And I just try and be a good role model to other people on what's possible. If you believe in yourself, you do the right thing, you work hard, you know, anybody can do it. I'm a, I'm a living example of it, right? I, yeah. It's like, you know, you, know it's, you wouldn't have thought probably when you would. Matter of fact, when we sold our company, a good buddy of mine um, called me. Probably a year later, and I, you know, high school, I hadn't talked to a lot of my high school buddies. Like, but I got on the phone. He said, "Togs." That's what my buddies call me, Tog. Yeah. He said, "Dude, you're the nicest guy in high school, but I have to be honest. I never thought you'd build a company that would be sold to Warren Buffett. <laughs> you're the last guy I thought would have done that. Yeah. So it's just, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And 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 but they're all and all my friends are proud of me. That's that's almost better than the money, right? It's just yeah. that my friends are proud of me. Yeah. My family's proud of me. You know. Um. That's it. That's amazing. And you know, kind of touch on your your what you your answer to yep. that question of wanting to touch someone and say, yep. you know, they kind of empowered me. Yep. I would actually say you've by letting me sit down with you and talk to you, you know, that's huge impact on my life. Hopefully, this podcast can reach uh, reach someone else yep. or more people to uh, you know maybe they can learn from learning from your experience and and then also I don't think you know this, but part of the reason why I wanted to talk 
create this podcast is because of the conversation I had with you before your biz talk. Oh, I had so many questions. Okay, interesting. And you had so much energy. And then after, and you answered some of the questions I had even in your talk. But then after your talk, I was like, man, I, I still have so many, so yeah. many interesting questions about everything from selling company to going yeah. through the, the, the roller coaster of life and your business. And so, um, and so that's what I wanted. I was like, man, I, I could connect with all these speakers again yeah. and, and, yeah. and start to foster a little bit better of a relationship and everything. So um, I want to say thank you for sitting down with me today. You bet. And My pleasure. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I could talk to you forever, but I know you have a, a business day to no get after. I'll get happy to help out. Well, thank you. You bet, Sean. Take care. I will. All right, man. Well, that will do it for this episode. Thanks for listening to the Experience Speaks podcast powered by BizTalks. This is a new podcast and we'd love to hear your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review because it will help us create more of what you love. And it will help other ambitious career-minded listeners find this podcast. Experience Speaks is edited by John Chang. I'm your host, Sean Wolf. See you next week. Oh, 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 oh,